uh, our abbreviated time together in God's Word this morning. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 8 through 21. And you can find that passage printed in your bulletin. You're welcome, obviously, to turn there if you have, have a, a Bible or a phone and you'd like to follow along. It's Luke chapter 2, 8 through 21. Uh, there's a book called Now is Not the Time to Panic by an author named Kevin Wilson. This, this book is a fictional account of two teenagers who meet one summer um, in a small town in Tennessee. And both of these teenagers, this boy and this girl, are artists. And they are sort of uh, social outcasts. And so they end up connecting and they create a poster over the course of this summer. Uh, the boy uh, draws a picture um, to make this poster of these two large uh, very ominous hands that are reaching out uh, over about uh, four children who are lying in their beds sleeping. It's a very creepy image. You can forget that one quickly. Uh, but so these hands are reaching out over the beds. And then the girl, who's a writer, um, she writes uh, one sentence on the poster with this, this very ominous drawing in the background. And this is the sentence that she writes. It says, The edge is a shanty town filled with gold seekers. We are the fugitives... And the law is skinny with hunger. All right, here's the thing. This picture with the hands, this sentence on the poster, have no meaning whatsoever. Um, It means absolutely nothing. It does not symbolize anything. It does not represent anything. It's not promoting anything. It is just a random picture and a random sentence. Uh, But this boy and this girl, they end up making hundreds and hundreds of copies of this poster. They hang it all over this small town. And uh, as the townspeople see this poster hanging everywhere, um, total hysteria erupts. Um, And the fame of this poster, it actually goes viral. And this is before things would go viral on the internet. It just organically goes viral as people see it. There are copycats who try to hang up similar posters. Other towns nearby, you start seeing this poster come up in certain places. Um, No one knows who did it. Um, And everyone is looking at these posters and trying to understand the meaning of it. They're trying to make meaning out. Is is, is there some impending doom that's coming? Is it like from aliens from outer space? Is it like some, like, uh, some lyrics from some old song? We have to decode and figure out what it is. Um, This poster defined history for this small town. But when you really look into it, totally meaningless. The birth of Jesus defined history, Uh, not just for a small town, but for the entire world. Yet sometimes it can feel like that poster, where at the end of the day, we we wonder if it really has meaning for us, Uh, like in the, the real hard realities of our lives, in the midst of breakups and health scares and job loss and getting cut from the team, and financial setbacks, and difficult family relationships. Uh, Just this week I learned about something called the Misery Index. You you may be familiar with the Misery Index. It's an economic measurement uh, where where two two numbers come together. It's the unemployment rate and the inflation rate. And so the, the higher the unemployment rate and the higher the inflation rate, then the higher the Misery Index into our real lives, into the really hard things that we face, does the birth of Jesus have any meaning?
for us. Keep that in mind as I read our passage for us. This is Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we ask you now to speak to us in the midst of all that we have going on this week and of all that is on our minds, maybe, maybe uh, things we're excited about or logistics we're thinking about, or even uh, real burdens that we're wearing this morning. Father, would you enter in and speak to us? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, two headings this morning as we think about this passage. Uh, We're going to look at the good news and we're going to look at the responses. So first, the good news. Um, So the scene that we have in our passage, there are shepherds in a field with their sheep. Um, The angel appears and an overwhelmingly bright light shines down on them. And understandably, the shepherds are scared. And the angel says, don't be afraid. Why? Look at verse 10. The angel says he brings good news of great joy. Uh, That word, good news, it's a form of the word gospel, which you've likely heard that word, even if you haven't been around the church much, but that's what that word means. Gospel means good news. And here's that good news in one sentence according to the Bible. It's God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. That's what the good news is. God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He took on flesh, born as a baby, as we're remembering today, lived a perfect life. He never sinned in in his thoughts, in his words, in his deeds, lived a perfect life, which we have all failed to do. And instead of experiencing great reward for his perfect life, he experienced suffering and death on the cross. Why? Because he stood in our place and he took the penalty that our sin and rebellion deserved. But that's the good news. And Christmas is actually a picture of this good news. Tim Keller said it this way in his book on Christmas. He says, Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God Himself could save us. That means that you are not somebody who can pull yourself together and live a moral and good life. 
To accept the true Christmas gift, you have to admit you're a sinner. You need to be saved by grace. One winter years ago, uh, when we lived in Kentucky, we got a record amount of snowfall. Uh, I think it snowed around 17 inches, which was amazing, until it all melted. Uh, it was maybe two days after it snowed that the temperature like, went way up, and so all that 17 inches of snow basically melted in one day. And as you know, when snow melts, it turns to water. And that water had to go somewhere. Most of that water ended up in the basement of our house. And our sump pump, which is something that's designed to get water out of the basement, stopped working on that day. And I'll never forget walking down the stairs um, and actually seeing my kids' toys floating in the water, which is just a very creepy thing to see. Uh, and, and, I, and I just I stood there and I looked at this water in my basement and I thought, I cannot do anything about this. I wouldn't know how to begin to fix a problem like this. It, 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 it was way beyond me. And so I called this amazing handyman named Jody that we knew. And this was early, I think on a Saturday morning. And Jody came right over and, and he looks what's, at what's going on. And, and, uh, and, and he says, all right, Jonathan, you need to, you need to step aside and he tells me to stand, to make sure I'm not standing in the water. Go stand over there, not in the water. Meanwhile, Jody wades into about a foot of water in our basement. And he goes over to the sump pump, sump pump and he starts, he's standing in water. And he starts doing electrical work on the sump pump. And he says, make sure you're not in the water. And I don't know what he does to the sump pump, but he manages to fix it. And then that glorious sound of the sump pump turning back on and it started working and immediately started pumping all the water out of our basement. But Jody came and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. This is the message of Christmas. That Jesus came to do for us what we can never do for ourselves. And here's the question. What's your response to that? Um, has this good news really infiltrated your heart? Not just to where you cognitively agree with that, but has it infiltrated your heart and become your main thing in life. How are you responding to that good news? We see a few different responses in our passage. I distinctly remember Christmas in my seventh grade year. Um, I was in the peak of my rollerblading era, and I asked for one thing and one thing only during that Christmas, and it was a new pair of rollerblades, uh, and they were the K2 Fatty Pros. And for you three roller, former rollerbladers out there, you'll, you'll recognize the name of those skates. But these were these skates that everyone wanted. Um, I even looked them up online this week as I was thinking about this. And it made me feel things just to see a picture of the K2 Fatty Pros online. Um, but I was relentless in asking for these skates. I just wore my sweet mother out asking again and again and again for her to get me these skates for Christmas so much so that she thought she would play a little trick on me on Christmas morning. And so when I walked downstairs on Christmas morning, I saw the box. You know, a box of rollerblades is a pretty distinct uh, box. And I just couldn't wait to open. I knew it was the K2 Fatty Pros. And so um, I sit down. I'm, I'm just pure excitement as I'm tearing, op tearing open the, the wrapping paper. And it was, in fact, rollerblades. But it was not the ones that I asked for. It was these very cheap plasticky like imitation version rollerblades and so in that moment I'm thinking what is going on so my response to this gift went from pure excitement as I'm unwrapping the gift um, to shock to like real disappointment and confusion but then sure enough 
my mother told me that hidden away in another room was the real gift, the K2 fatty pros. And so I was back to pure excitement once again. But in the span of about 90 seconds, I had multiple different responses to this gift. What are the responses to the gift of Jesus being born in our passage? One of the responses we see is wonder. It's wonder. And you see this from the crowds. We're going to get to the shepherds in a moment. But after the shepherds um, travel to see that this is in fact all true, that there is this baby lying in a manger, and that and just as the angel had promised, they start telling everyone. If you look at verse 18, it says that all who heard it wondered. And commentators on this passage say that this wondering, it means to be curious or intrigued. That's different from skepticism, uh, but more of a wondering or curiosity that really hopes this good news is true. Um, it's a wonder that is in route to belief. Maybe not there yet, but it's heading that way. And I remember during my freshman year of high school when I, had, I was not yet a Christian, but I started spending time around other Christians, and I began to not only hear what they believed, but I saw what their lives looked like. And, and I remember thinking, um, what they have seems really good. Um, I, I think I want that. I mean, it was almost like window shopping where you're looking in on something and you're beginning to realize that, hey, maybe I want what's inside that window. That's the response here. It's wonder. It's curiosity. It's not just the question of could this be true. It's the question of could this be true for me or even I really want this to be true for me. This is how the crowds responded with wonder. We see another response from Mary. We see her treasuring and pondering. And this is a beautiful response. Mary has already professed her belief and her faithfulness to the Lord. As as we heard in our scripture reading earlier, she she cried out uh, to the angel that she would be a servant of the Lord. So so we know Mary is already in. And she's also moving into greater belief here. Verse 19 says what? That she treasured up these things in her heart. That this good news is is like treasure to her. And she ponders it. She's holding it. And thinking deeply about just how good this good news is. A few years ago, my oldest daughter, Caroline, ordered a boba case for her AirPods. And she was so excited to get it that she was tracking this package on Amazon as she uh, waited for it. And, and so the day it finally arrived, we were sitting around the dinner table. Our dinner table's right in front of our front window. And, and we see the Amazon driver pull up. And, and he drops the, this package at the front door. And before he has time to get back to the van, she has already run to the front door, grabbed the package, and there's maybe, I don't know, six or seven feet between our front door and our dining room table. And by the time she gets from the front door back to the dining room table, she'd already unwrapped the package, and she was holding um, this boba case for her AirPods, and she sits back down at the dinner table, and she takes a deep breath, and she gives this package a big hug, and she says, I love this so much. This is my life right now. Okay, that's treasuring. You love it. It is your life. Mary treasures this good news of Jesus. It's so good her heart swells thinking about it. So there's wonder, there's treasuring and pondering, and we also see glorifying and praising. We see this with the shepherds. This is a beautiful journey with these shepherds from unbelief to belief. Zoom in real quick on this passage to see this journey of unbelief to belief. Look at verse 9. They're terrified because an angel appears and starts speaking to them. Verses 10 to 16, they hear the good news. They hear literally 
thousands of angels singing. And they decide this might be something that we should look into. Verse 17, they're so amazed at what they see that it's in fact true. They start telling people about it. That's what leads to the wonder in verse 18. But look at verse 20. It says, And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Do you see that journey for the shepherds from unbelief to fear to exploration to belief to glorifying and praising God? Do you know that we were made for this very same thing? Uh, To love God so much that we glorify and praise Him. That He becomes the main thing in our hearts. And, And just in case you're wondering whether you qualify for this, whether this is something for you or not, the shepherds are proof that this good news really is for anyone and everyone. You know, we tend to think of shepherds in sort of high regard if we're somewhat familiar with the story in the Bible, um, you know, because they play a pretty key role here, right? And, you know, many nativity scenes depict the shepherds in some form. And so we kind of esteem shepherds. This was not the case in this original context. Shepherds were outcasts. They were considered ceremonially unclean because of their profession, These were not like well-thought-of model citizens that would be great ambassadors for this good news. But think about what our passage is showing us. Those who are first to profess belief in Jesus at his birth, it was first a young, unknown woman who mysteriously became pregnant out of wedlock and a group of outcast, unclean shepherds. Uh, This is who the good news is for. It's for those who do not have it all together, for those who are not good enough, it's good news for people who, who are able to admit that God has to show mercy and grace because we cannot do it on our own. In the book, Now is Not the Time to Panic, um, total mass hysteria broke out because people were all responding to this poster and this message on the poster that was completely made up. It wasn't true. When you respond to the good news of Christmas... You're responding to something true. Keller says it this way. He says, you begin by believing the report about what has happened in history. He says, if Christmas is just a nice legend, in a sense, you are all on your own. But if Christmas is true, then you can be saved by grace. What if this Christmas was different than any other Christmas for you? Uh, Because it was the first time you really began to treasure Jesus, Um, this humble Savior who came as a baby offers himself to you this morning. Won't you receive him by faith? Let's pray together. Father, oh how our hearts need to be reminded that we can't do it on our own. But that out of love, love, you sent your own Son to enter into the miseries of this life, to take on real flesh, to suffer, to be despised and rejected, and to go to the cross. Why? To do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. To pay for all of our sins, past, present, and future, and to even give us His righteousness by His perfect life. Father, for those who believe, may this sink more deeply into our hearts this morning. For those who don't yet believe, oh God, would you grant the gift of faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.